you know, when you have investors, you have to do what they want to do and you have to exit when they want you to. Uh, and I just want to help build great companies. And that's where I look for founders that feel the same way. Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision We will always have enough cash around. Strictly business. Business. Just business. Howdy, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Yeah, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, content manager at CFO Connect, and I get to talk to talented finance leaders who are actively bringing growth and financial stability to their companies. In this episode, I spoke with Jenny Bloom, who's been CFO at Zapier since early 2016. If you do any serious finance or business operations, I'm pretty certain you've heard of and used Zapier before. If not, Zapier makes it simple to connect virtually any two pieces of software and push data between them without any engineering skills. Today, Zapier has more than 7 million users and does over $50 million in annual recurring revenue, all with only $1.3 million in venture funding. We spoke about the differences between the last major crisis and the current pandemic, internet companies in the 1990s, why she couldn't wait to join a fully remote company, and why she doesn't believe in fundraising. As always, the show is brought to you by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with your questions and feedback. Jenny Bloom, welcome to CFO Yeah. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And I think probably um, the best place for us to start is sort of right at the beginning. What do listeners need to know about Jenny Bloom? Maybe you could give uh, us a little biography of yourself. Well, I've uh, been at Zapier for almost five years now. And previous to that, I was actually at MailChimp for about 13 years. I was there from the very beginning um, up until basically the very end of 2015. Um, Before that, I had my own accounting practice for a number of years after um, I spent, I guess, the late 90s and early 2000s in dot-com. And once it busted, I like didn't want to go back to the corporate world. So uh, spent some time uh, trying to figure out how how to get back into tech once it, you know, stabilized. Mm. Great. Uh, Maybe another good place to start. I read um, actually... And in a blog post that you'd written um, when you first joined Zapier, you you said at the time you'd actually, when you joined, you didn't know a whole lot about Zapier yourself. You hadn't been using it too much at at MailChimp. So for that reason, I think it would be great if we could um, have maybe a bit more of an introduction to Zapier as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Zapier basically helps small businesses automate their work. Um, I mean, a lot of small businesses rely on a bunch of uh, different softwares like you know QuickBooks, Stripe, Mailchimp, and so there there needs to be something to kind of make those all work together. So that's where kind of Zapier comes in to make those tools work together, so you can automate your work and save time. Do you get to use it a lot in the finance team as well? Um, I need to use it more, but uh, the finance team they yes they built all kinds of crazy zaps to automate their work. Cool. Cool. Yeah, because we, I mean, we definitely know it from the sort of marketing perspective using tools like MailChimp and HubSpot and, and all those other, you know, exciting SaaS tools. But I'm always fascinated to know how um, finance teams are using these things. Well, uh, I guess 
straight away, I'm very interested in the differences or the kind of comparison between your time at MailChimp and the where you are now at, at Zapier. Are there key differences, um, really from a from a CFO perspective, between the two companies and the challenges that you're facing and the teams that you've built? Um. Yes and no, I guess. I mean, the businesses are actually very similar. They're both like very simple, you know, simple businesses. Um, you know, we both, uh, you know, our SMBs are our customers. So um, there's no like enterprise. We don't have contracts. Um, all of our, there's no invoicing because everything is done through credit cards. So we don't have to worry about, you know, receivables or invoicing. And then we basically pay for everything on credit cards. So there's no payables. And this was the same way at MailChimp. So when you have that, it makes it a very simple business. So that's all very much similar. Um, I think what's different is like remote kind of turns everything on its head. So that that's what makes like, you know, that's what made it Zapier like exciting for me. Cause it's like, I could do the same thing, but it's like in a totally different way. So that's like all the different cha new challenges that it brings to the table. Um, but yeah, it's just a different way of, you know, you, ha you have to figure out ways to work with people. It's like, how do you solve a problem together? Right. So it's like, we have, you have to jump on zoom and share a screen to figure out and going and it works. It just took a while to figure out like how to actually do this. Well, for uh, just for listeners who may not be aware, Zapier is completely remote and has been since 2012. Is that right? Uh, since, yeah, to the, it's since the beginning. Yeah. It's been always been hundred percent remote. And is there, I mean, I can think of plenty of good reasons why, but is there a kind of um, fundamental value that that reflects within the company or is there a core reason why it's always been remote? <laughs> Not really. What I mean, basically what happened was the three founders um, lived in, they went to school in Missouri and then got accepted to Y Combinator in California and moved out there. And then once uh, they graduated from Y Combinator, one of the founders had to move back to Missouri to be with his fiance and they were like okay well let's see how this works and then when they needed people there were some other people in missouri and different places so they just kind of started hiring so yeah it was just like okay let's see if we can make this work so yeah it wasn't done on purpose yeah wow and i think probably that's actually sadly uh a lot of companies are now finding themselves in that position whether or not they want to be right i mean obviously <laughs> right pretty much mm -hmm. we're all working from home um I mean, even even us here in, in France, mostly we're working from home and companies are having to find ways to adapt. So in a way, it's kind of an advantage for companies that have always been that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But that was particularly that was particularly appealing to you when you were considering joining the company. Yeah. I mean, also just, you know, I, right now I'm about 80 miles north of Atlanta and a cabin I have. I also live in Atlanta. So it's just um, the ability to travel and work wherever you want just was very appealing. But does it, is it challenging then uh, when, it come, when you're building your team and when you're managing people? Obviously, as CFO, how, if you don't mind me asking, how many people do you need to manage? Um, well, I'm actually over the people side too. So the, account, the accounting team's about nine and the people side's like 25. So I get, yeah, so I have a team of like over about 35. Right. And you're having to help, I mean, help train and, and stay on, but also stay on top of people's work completely remotely. Yes. And are there, are there particular <laughs> challenges that come along with that? Are there must um, yeah. I mean, time zones, of course, is one thing. Um, you know, when you, the, most of the people are in the U.S., but we do have some people outside the U.S. On my, you know, on my team. So like for a while, we had a recruiter in the U.K. and then another recruiter 
in LA. So it's like trying to have a meeting with two of them together was, you know, was pretty difficult. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yes. UK to LA. That's we, we have that challenge. Sometimes we have a San Francisco office and it's, it's similar. We, we have about three hours in the afternoon where we get to talk to our right. colleagues in, in San Francisco. Okay, cool. So we, we spoke about the, the differences and the similarities, I suppose, between MailChimp and Zapier. But you also said that um, after your time as a CPO with your own consultancy, with your own firm, you were desperate to get back into tech. What is it about tech for you that is so appealing? Um, it's just exciting. I mean, it's like there's always a new problem to solve. And, you know, there's just it's it's you know everything's cutting edge you're learning something all the time there's new tools there's ever there's always something new to learn and it's not you can it's like you can be creative and it's not you know you don't have set you know in co the corporate world you have set ways to do things and that's just the way you have to do them where you can always figure out new ways to do things in tech yeah and that i mean forgive me for asking but that even applies to the finance team which is obviously i think Many of us might traditionally think of the finance team as being a bit constrained and a bit boxed in with the way that you, things have to be done. But right. even in that space, you have more freedom and, or, or ways to approach problems that perhaps you wouldn't have in the uh, in at GM where you where you worked at at one point, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. It's like even you know I've been here, like I said, almost five years. But like some of the accountants, you know, now there's you know five or six accountants. I mean, they've totally changed things since I've been here and automated and made stuff so much better. So yeah, there's like they're constantly building things to change and automate. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, is that something that the accountants are doing themselves? Are you working with a specific operations team? I can imagine that uh, at Zapier an operations team or operations engineers is something that you have um, plenty of on tap. But uh, how involved are the accountants and the other finance team members actually in that process? Um, they're doing it all themselves. I mean, they may have a question here or there where they might ask somebody else, but a lot of it's using Zapier. So um, a lot of it is just, I mean, it's meant to be able to do yourself and not needing mm. you know, coders to do anything for you. But I imagine then uh, if you are, uh, Whenever you're looking for new help in the finance team, new accountants, et cetera, you want to be finding these people who have that kind of, if not necessarily the skill set, but the attitude. Yes, absolutely. Are your finance processes stuck in the Stone Age? Huge delays, long email trails, and everything written on paper? In 2020? It's time to evolve. Spendesk gives you automated expense management and smart company cards, ready to use on day one. Every team member can spend safely, even while remote, and finance teams save on average two plus days per month on tedious admin. There's no lengthy setup and no training required, just expense processes that belong in this day and age. Don't be a dinosaur, use Spendesk. Here's a relatively simple question. Aside from the remote aspect, was there any other particular reason for changing from, from moving from MailChimp to Zapier? So I actually didn't move. I actually quit MailChimp. So um, I had I actually put in uh, my resignation in like October of 2015, and then worked until the very first week of January 2016. But yeah, I had been at MailChimp 13 years, and I was just yeah looking to do something different and. Um, my fourth day off is when Wade, the C CEO of Zapier, contacted me 
we we had been i mean i had known way because we used zapier at mailchimp so i just got to know him and he just randomly sent me an email just like wanting advice on who we should hire for you know a, an operations or finance person and we started talking and yeah kind of the rest is history it's always when you're not looking right it's when the opportunities yeah <laughs> um <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we, I wonder if we can go even further back because I know that you were working in internet, you mentioned that you were working in internet companies in the nineties, um, before the bubble burst, et cetera. Is it even possible really to compare the kinds of companies back then in the nineties with 2020 or even, you know, 2015, 2016, or are we talking about completely different beasts? Uh, completely different. I mean, one thing is the last company I worked for, um, was actually a digital signature company so it's like you know hello sign or you know docusign but it's like we couldn't get it off the ground because nobody got it oh they want really? yeah no one could trust it you know they didn't want to trust using you know online signatures in you know 99 or 2000. yeah that's fascinating i was thinking about that in the context of voting recently of, of uh we just had our election in new zealand and, and i voted from france so i had to send in this thing and it was all done electronically except for the signature which uh. had to be we had to print it out <laughs> sign it scan it send it back and it just seems so backwards so stuck right. in the past mm -hmm. um okay well let's let's dive a bit deeper into zapier then i think because um I, I'm as I said, I, we use the we use Zapier a lot here, and I have in, in many roles. And I'm quite interested, actually, in the kind of business model. Um, somewhat, has the business model changed at all between 2016 and 2020? No, we're exactly the same. I mean, we support our customers, our small businesses. Um, we have, you know, created team and company accounts for larger SMBs so they can have the features for teams of security and you know, different sharing access, but no, but the, the business models remain the same. Mm. And is there, uh, basically Zapier to me seems like a great example of a company that does something really well and you just keep doing it well and find ways to do it better and better and better. Is that, does, the, is that accurate? Is that what the way that, um, is that the, the feeling internally or is it much more just around the corner is the next big thing and we're always trying to reinvent the wheel? Um, I'd say a little of both. I mean, I think that um, there's a lot, we have a lot of users, but I think there's so many more users we, we could we could have. I mean, it should be used by every accountant, every recruiter, every lawyer. I mean, there's so many uses and I think, you know, it's not, we haven't got to that market yet. It's not, some, people are still intimidated by it and we need to get it a little simpler and work on it a little, and provide people more use cases and help them understand how to use it. So that's the piece I think we need to work on our core product a lot more. But then there's on the side, we also have, you know, a labs team and other people that are kind of working on what's the next thing we're going to do. And you, you and the, the finance team, are you, how involved are you in things like product development and uh, the company roadmap and all those kinds of things? Um, right now we're going through uh, 2020 planning, 2021 planning. So um, yeah, I mean, each team is very involved, the whole company is. So it's basically a bottoms up approach. So yeah, each team is heavily involved in the planning. Mm. Because that's what really the, the key focus of, uh, of this podcast and also CFO Connect, we're really trying to identify the ways in which the finance function is a real business partner as opposed to 
either a bad cop or someone just processing invoices, et cetera, as you spoke about. So I'm really fascinated in, in knowing, I guess, how you can be involved in, let's say, product decisions. Yeah, um, I don't know as much as we're involved in product decisions per se. I mean, we are like going to do um, international currency where we allow people to pay in other currencies. So, I mean, that's something that finance has done. I think it's more like the analysis piece, like the, the controller recently did a lot of analysis on looking at support and who goes, how long the wait times are on support versus when does somebody, when does somebody become a paying user? And we found out that there's actually this window of time that if they get support within this time period, then they will become a paying user. So it's like, so that's going to say, okay, we need to hire that many support people so that we can make sure that our response times are within that window. And that was actually pushed, as you said, by the controller. So that's someone whose job it is to basically figure out money coming in, money going out, and they right. figured out a way to bring more money in, right. more money in faster. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, what are the biggest challenges for finance in a SaaS business like Zapier? What are the things that you have to constantly be focused on or looking at? Um, I mean, of course, you know, we, we look at our metrics, you know, all the time. But um, I mean, I think, you know, some of the most difficult things is like deferred revenue. I mean, just because of, you know, the the recent change with the was it, AFC 2606. I mean, that's just created a lot more work and um we had to find tools and ways to actually get administratively get all the work done. So that was pretty difficult. Um, right now, I think with COVID, it's just like, you know, a SaaS business should be very predictable as to what the revenue is. But, you know, with where we are right now, it makes it much harder because you just don't know. And there's lots of ups and downs. If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one -on -one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. What does the finance function look like at Zapier? Who's, who are the team members? What's the structure? So I have a controller and then reporting to him, he has an assistant controller. Um, he, we just hired um, an FP&A person that's just getting ready to start. And there's also a tax and compliance person. Um, and then reporting to the assistant controller is our payroll manager and three accountants. And are those accountants... Um, are there three accountants because there's a high volume of transactions or because they're dealing with different geographies uh, potentially or one for tax, one for something else? Uh, yeah, it's more different. Like one's more GL, one's more um, payables for fo focused, one's, um, and she's just started. So no, she's doing, I think she's doing more, uh, she's going to do more like the, tr the uh, payment stuff, the uh, credit card, analyzing credit card payments. And what, where do you fit in as CFO? <laughs> so as I said, I'm actually over the people side too. So honestly, uh, that's where I spend most of my time. Help uh, setting up HR policies, for example, or a hiring, training. Yeah, so I have, yeah, I have recruiting, L&D, 
um, people ops compensate. We're doing a lot with, you know, trying to get compensation and leveling and yeah, there's a lot of work mm. on that side. I'm sure. <laughs> and you mentioned an FPNA person. Yes. So you just, this is the first FPNA, you know, dedicated FPNA yes. analyst. Mm -hmm. And what are they, what are you hoping that they'll add? So we have, a, we have a big data team and, you know, they're great, but, you know, sometimes you need, they don't necessarily have the context that a finance person has. And so I think, you know, the controller and I watch our metrics a lot, but it's just like a lot of times you just need to dig into them and say, you know, why did this change? And, you know, what, where are our leading, we don't even really know what our leading indicators are. So it's like somebody that's really going to dig into some of this stuff and figure out, you know, how, why did churn move, you know, up or down and, you know, based on different programs that we had. Mm. Is that, I imagine that's even more under the spotlight at the moment. Yes, absolutely. Under the microscope, <laughs> yeah. which leads me to my next question, which is going to be just generally speaking, how has business been for Zapier in 2020? Um, it's actually been pretty good. I mean, when COVID hit in March, you know, our business dropped dramatically and um, we put in like this five step plan where we paused hiring raises and promotions. We cut marketing way back and then we also went through and looked at um, different contracts we could cancel or renegotiate. Um, but luckily or thankfully, you know, revenue came back at the end of April and so then we were able or started coming back and then we were able to reinstate everything by the end of July. Because I, I, I think there's, from speaking to other companies, you know, other SaaS companies like ours, like yours, you, you, you hear the, the, there's the companies that really, really struggled, you know, like, like many traditional companies, of course, there's the companies somewhere in the middle where, um, where things are fine and pretty good but sort of pretty good considering, you know, mm -hmm. considering the circumstances, everything was pretty good. And then obviously we've all read the the Zooms, the those companies that just really, really took off. So right. Zapier is sort of somewhere in the middle maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think we're um, very close to what we were projecting for revenue for 20. Oh, okay. No, so a pretty, that's that's very good. It, to the extent that there was a drop off in, in usage or in new customers, it, what were you able to uh, attribute that to? Um, I think it was just basically, you know, people stopped working, right? I mean, it's just like yeah. everything stopped. So it's like, yeah. and, and and everything was so unknown that no one knew what was going to happen. So I think people were afraid to spend money or do anything. Yeah, and, and lots of companies were trying to figure out how to work remotely. Well, that's why I wondered though, because you know, my initial thought, <clears throat> excuse me, for. Um, for a company like Zapier is it could be the exact thing that people need to to work remotely. Um, it's also a great tool to have all the time, but specifically when remote. But I guess people don't necessarily know that. That's the problem. I totally agree. Yeah, it is. Everyone should be using it, but yeah. And I'm really interested to ask you uh, if how this particular crisis that we are going through and have been going through since March or so, how it might compare with the 2008 to 10 crisis because of course you were i think at the time at bloom and associates uh i was but i was actually spending most of my time at mailchimp at that time ah in okay interesting well that will be probably actually a more useful comparison um yeah, yeah. so yeah i was um i was their outsourced cfo for seven years before i became their actual permanent cfo so yeah so i was actually there most of the time um 
and I think the biggest thing is like we didn't I mean we still don't but uh, like COVID you just don't know what's what's going to happen or how it's going to affect things I mean it's just it's so unknown um, that I mean I think it's just hard to know what what's going to happen and how to plan for that it's like you know there's no playbook with what what happened with this um, I feel like like the 20, 2008 to 10 it was it felt similar to the like the dot-com crash so it's like you knew it's like this isn't great, but you know we can weather the storm if we can get through this. So I just didn't. It feels totally different. Um, we had Mailchimp. Actually, it was probably that that time period and what happened was probably the thing that really grew Mailchimp because during that time we expanded our freemium plan to help businesses, and they soon became paying customers. And a lot of larger companies trying to save money actually came down to Mailchimp from you know, more enterprise solutions. So it actually really was a big growth spurt for MailChimp. Mm. But at the moment, it's it's more of a wait and see at Zapier. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, like I said, we're doing, we're doing fine, but it's just like, you, yeah. you know, if there's a resurgence or, you know, companies start going out of business more, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of unknowns still. And have you, uh, we, we've seen in the CFO Connect community, um, particularly from from things like um, recruiters that we've spoken to and we've had in our webinars and things, that there's this respect and need for CFOs actually right now who were there a decade plus ago and, exp and went through that process. Whereas perhaps for a little while there was a, you know, it was more about finding young, dynamic, um, marketing and sales-driven people to to lead the finance team. Now there's a there's this real extra need for people with crisis experience. Do you feel that that experience was has is be, has been valuable for you this time around? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it. You know, it prepares you for being calm and like being able to like really think clearly and to try to make the best decisions because you've been through, you know, nothing like this. I mean, no one's ever been. There's no playbook for a pandemic, but you know, at least it, it made you. I mean, I think it, it helped me. I said think clearly and really be calm through the situation. So where other people were getting, you know, a little more frantic about what was going on. Mm. Which is another thing that we've heard a lot in uh, in CFO Connect. Uh, okay, well, uh, switching topics completely, I'd love to talk about fundraising because obviously, um, you know, as a still relatively young um, tech company, Zapier, um, we I would have expected to look up and see fifty million, sixty million in fundraising, Series B, C, a new one around coming around the corner, and instead I saw one point three million. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And I have to imagine, may, well, yeah, I have to imagine that if you really wanted to raise more money, you would have. Yes. Uh, yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about why you have not. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I actually don't believe in fundraising, and that's actually part of the reason why I joined Zapier. I mean, MailChimp was 100% self-funded. So, yeah, I don't, I had been previously and you know, in my previous you know, world in the dot-com, I worked for VC funding companies and it was very different. And yeah, I like the self-funded route much better. Um, you know, when you have investors, you have to do what they want to do and you have to exit when they want you to. Uh, and I just want to help build great companies. And that's where I look for founders that feel the same way. Um, I mean, we've built cash reserves and have money if we need, I mean, equal to large funding rounds. So we have money available if we need 
if we decide we want to do something. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think there would be a lot of CFOs who would agree completely with that philosophy, uh, and but would say, if only it was that easy for everybody, you know, or if only we could be so lucky. Well, and I think that's part of, you know, running a SaaS business to small businesses because the, the costs are so low and it allows you to do some of these things. Hmm. And equally, there'd be plenty of those CFOs who, you know, live for the fundraising. You know, that's really the most exciting time, having the big novelty check that I wish every company did, but they don't seem to. Uh, yeah. And so, all right, my next question was going to be whether or not you personally would have liked to raise more along the way, but it's in fact the exact opposite. You are very happy and, uh, you know, that, that reflects your ethos and it reflects the ethos of the company. That was the always the game plan from the start. Yes. Yeah, the money they got was actually just what they got out of Y Combinator. It was kind of, they didn't even really need it or use it. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we only briefly touched on remote work at the beginning and it, and it is a big deal because Zapier is very famously a remote company, sort of a remote success story. Um, and I'm really interested in the way that remote work specifically impacts finance teams, because I think to a lot of lay people like, like me, we think of finance teams as being very relatively manual processes requiring things like paper expense reports and invoices. And you picture in trays and out trays physically on your desk. Um, so I just wonder what you think about that, how, how the being a remote company impacts the finance team in, in your case. Yeah. I mean, we just use a bunch of online tools. I mean, we use, we're totally paperless. So we use, um, you know, QuickBooks for our, you know, our accounting, we use, we save all of our, you know, we use Google sheets for all of our work and then we save it to box. So we're able to, you know, work collaboratively, uh, collaboratively on all that stuff. We get on Zoom when we, you know, have questions or need to work through a problem. So yeah, it's it's. I, I don't really see where there's any issues. It's it's very easy. We couldn't have done this, you know, eight years, eight ten years ago. But now I think with the tools available, it's made it very easy to do. And I wonder actually if there's an advantage sort of to the finance team because it then requires prop like good proper training of the rest of the organization to the extent that they rely on the finance team, let's say for things like expenses, mm -hmm. they need to understand if, if they can't just walk down the hall and go and visit the finance team in person and bug you every single hour, right? then in, in the, in the kind of politest way possible, we're, we're putting, or you're putting a little bit more responsibility on their shoulders to, to do things the right way. Yeah, but I'd also say like Slack is walking down the hall. So you just walk into the accounting, different accounting channels and say, hey, can I buy this piece of equipment or can I go do this or how do I get reimbursed for this? Yes, that is an excellent point, I would argue. <laughs> In fact, walking down the hall might be preferable sometimes <laughs> <laughs> or forcing others to walk down the hall. Yeah, okay. I mean, it makes sense. If you've got the tools, if you've got paperless processes in place, then then it really is no different whether you're in the same room or, or in right. different continents. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, this has been a fantastic interview. Um, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And what we like to do at the end of every podcast episode is ask five quick questions. Um they can be one word answers or you can go as long as you want. There's really no problem. Okay. Uh, and the first one is pretty straightforward. What is one finance tool you couldn't live without? 
Well, of course, I'd say Zapier. Um, and then one other point, I guess I would say is I know our controller could not live without Asana as like keeping track of all the project management and what's going on with this team. If there was one part of your day to day that you could outsource completely and forget about, what would it be? Going through my Gmail. <laughs> yeah, you're not. It's not inbox zero. <laughs> no, not inbox zero. And we don't. E and the thing is, it's not. We don't even use email at Zapier. It's like that's like kind of against the law. You can't use email, so it's all from you know outside of the company. So yeah, it gets challenging. Okay. Well, I think I think just about the entire world is with you on that, <laughs> the entire business world anyway. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, take the time to hire the right people. If you hire great people, then managing is easy. Nice. Which other finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly or, or who do we need to know about? Um, it's It's been hard because, you know, since we are self funded and fully distributed, we're very different and have different issues from a lot of companies. Uh, I think the person I've talked to the most was, he used to be the CFO of Automatic, now he's with Grammarly, but um, you know, when I'm first going remote, he helped me a lot trying to figure out different ways to, to do finance in the remote world. Grammarly's totally remote as well? I'm not sure, I think they are. I'm not totally sure, but I think they are. Right. And the last one is, why did you join CFO Connect? Yeah, so I, I belong, you know, of course, to several groups, and but this is the first one I've seen that's like been global. And like we've recently opened up entities in Canada and the UK, and we're looking to open up more. So it's just like a place to really get a global perspective and see different, you know, see what other people are doing in other parts of the world. And I also just I love all the Slack channels. It's great because you can go to like exactly, you know, what you have an issue with or what you want to learn about, and you don't get lost in Slack threads like I do at some other places. Jenny Bloom, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.